just that one cell where I was detained and about 50 people we couldn't even not lie down we were all sitting you know, against each other's back early in the morning I was going to tell the guy who was leaning against my back because he was too heavy but when I was trying to tell him his body was falling because he died while he was leaning against my back Welcome everybody, this is Simon Gilbo with Inspired. Great to be back with you for another fantastic uh, guest, my goodness. Um, Inspired, if you're new to us, is all about meeting friends and acquaintances of mine from all across the spectrum of, of uh, life's experiences and hearing how they came to faith, what faith has made an impact uh, in their journey, how they've overcome the sucker punches and challenges that life has thrown at them and all the more because we're bombarded relentlessly by so much cynicism and negativity and bad news in the press that we need to feel our souls and spirits with good news and I'm so looking forward to this week because we have with us Timothy Cho welcome Timothy thank you for having me today. oh it's great to have you bro it's been a challenging to arrange a slot because you're so so busy you're off to America tomorrow you're in massive demand speaking at various conferences be it before the UN Human Rights Watch Commission all sorts of stuff I, I've watched those interviews that you've done with them on big stages Timothy is co-secretariat of the UK all-party parliamentary group on North Korea He's also uh, an Open Doors spokesman. Um, I'm I, going back years. I did lots of um, sort of campaigning with Open Doors. Uh, we, we both uh, can claim Brother <laughs> Andrew, the, the founder, as our, as our friend. He endorsed a, a few of my books. I'm so grateful for his impact on my life. I know you've you met with him a number of times, and he, before he graduated to glory, and uh, he 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 was a blessing in your life too. Listen, Timothy, I don't want to sort of eat into our time in terms of much introduction. Uh, you you've you've escaped twice from North Korean prisons. You've been in, in, in prisons in China as well. You've suffered uh, unimaginably, but now you're free. You're a free man and you're a spokesperson for freedom. Uh, and using that platform, you are making a massive impact in terms of flagging up the abuses of what's going on in North Korea under that regime. So um, let's go way back. Can you can you just fill us in on uh, your, your, your background, your, your early years? What did they look like? Thank you, Simon, first. Uh, that that very kind and generous words uh, introduced me in that way. I am very humbled and grateful for having all these opportunities. I wish I could split my part into few pieces and send everywhere, but I do take my part, what I can do, mm. and I'm grateful for my life. So many I have, have gone through, but here I am. So if I start this with uh, my background, was born in North Korea. I often give this picture when, when I tell people about North Korea. It is a large prison country. Mm. And you can imagine there are 25 million prisoners are locked in, in a cage. And it is probably one of the largest prison cells and prison and systems probably in our histories. I did not know I was born in that prison country. Perhaps because I was also uh, with my parents as a, as a little boy, surrounded by the love of my parents, and particularly when my both parents were high school teachers. And, and you could imagine, I often played with his students. There was nothing kind of envy time, in a good, uh, uh, spending time with parents, enjoying it. But that memory was not that long I had, actually. 
If I just brief, I could still say I enjoyed watching TV in North Korea when it's nursery and come home having dinner with parents. Yet, I still didn't realize what kind of country I was living in. And although I was watching uh, uh, the Kim family uh, propaganda programs 24-7 mm-hmm. or even bow to Kim family picture frames uh, in the house and schools, just to thought it was a normal and quite ordinary life as it was. But things, when it came to change, and of course, it it links to with international relations as well. When the Soviet collapse happened, and 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 when and communist countries uh, collapsed, which remained the dictatorship countries opened the door because they couldn't afford to feed their own people. However, North Korea chose to close the door, mm. went into deep side isolation itself, and the starvation, of course, occurred from 1990s. When my parents left and escaped North Korea due to political circumstances, I was still a boy. I was about uh, 9 and 10, and it happened very uh, suddenly. One day I came home from um, um, playing outside and uh, opened the door. You could see that feeling of fear and frozen uh, moment because I realized they were left. And they had to do it. And, and because if they didn't take that choice, probably whole our family was taken to prison camp because it was, something was happening to my father. And not long ago, we saw that newspaper in and uh, read article in British newspapers that two-year-old boy was taken to prison camp, mm. and that was uh, shocking, isn't it? When we hear in uh, someone who hasn't experienced or you can or or you can imagine about that kind of life, but the only reason that two-year-old boy was taken to prison camp with his parents alongside because his parents had a Bible. Mm. It, it it doesn't really give any sense why someone has a Bible and whole family taken to prison camp and you die there. But it happens in North Korea. It's been there for many, many years. And I had a number of interviews uh, and on that week and I repeatedly explained to them how many times I had been telling you about this. It is not shocking to uh, me, someone like escape from North Korea or any North Korean escapees, you ask them. It was very common story in North Korea. And that could uh, come to me if my parents didn't take that choice to cross the border to China. But that was how it came to be. And, and from next day, you have the a real life. It comes upside down life, where I couldn't even not go to live with a relative for the first few years because everyone was going through the hard time of starvation and hunger. And, and you probably read this and how many over 3.5 million people died of starvation in the 1990s in North Korea. Just, just the, say that again, because, you know, that statistic is just so horrific, isn't it? 3.5 million people starved to death. That's mind-blowing, isn't it? When I, when I was studying politics in the UK, I was so keen on digging into the history uh, part of Irish farming. 
when many Irish people emigrated in 1840s, that period. Um, it was one million people died of starvation. But this what happened 200 years ago and still now in 2023, or even in, in the modern century, it happens in North Korea and other parts of the world. Mm. So th that was my part of a few years life without my parents living on the street, sleeping, and staying with you know, homeless friends. In May, I spoke at the uh, United Nations Human Rights Council sessions on North Korea, and I testified in front of 67 UN delegations and NGOs. And one of the stories and experience I shared with them was, one night I woke up at a train station. It was early in the morning. I felt my back was itching so badly. And I asked one of my homeless friends to look at it. And he told me many bad bugs burrowed under your skin. Mm. And you could see, because they gone inside that skin. It looked quite terrible. Mm. But you have to kill it. And so I asked my friend to kill it. And he had to use the needle to poke out each bad bug. And it looked horrific, actually. The blood was covering on my back. But far more horrific was when I discovered the two little children died of starvation next to us. Mm. And when their bodies collected, when you watch those things, you actually lose your emotions. Um, yeah, it was not only one case, but you could see children dying on the bridge or you know, at the stations, died of starvation. It's still, I live with these pictures. Yeah. That was my childhood. But when I also briefly give you a picture of North Korea, they have a complete information blockade from both inside and outside. It is when we talk about persecution and crimes against humanity, it is a systematic persecution in this country. Mm. Not just about religious part, but politically, economically, religiously, and, and socially, in every part of aspect since it has established and become one of the finest and darkest prison cells, there is great systematic persecution is going on. Mm. So when I talk about uh, complete information blockade, you cannot think of, uh, read or watch or compare anything, the media materials between outside and inside. Mm. I had never seen outside the country. I had never any chance to read the outside the stories until I escaped from North Korea, which is still happening inside the country. And where you basic uh, freedom of choice, when I talk about it's very, very basic what to wear and, and um, what to watch and what to express. All these basic part of choice and, and shoes, clothes, and, and even if you wear any cloth uh, written English on it, it is completely banned. Freedom of movement. As I now British citizen, I can't travel freely within England or United Kingdom or even any part of the world with British passport today. Mm. But in North Korea, within even and towns and cities and domestic distance, you have to get permission from authorities, which they call travel document. And, and when you buy a new TV, and the government come to your house, they take all channels out and leave one channel only. And that channel meant to be 
uh, and watching and the Kim family propaganda program 24-7. So you're being completely brainwashed. It um, is. And you've also got this, you, you've got even a harder life because you've got this tag of being son of betrayers, haven't you? That was right, yeah. Um, so my, after my father escaped, and the, uh, the system of this, what they call socio-political classification system North Korea has, and now it has categorized me as a uh, into enemy class from my father's son of betrayal tag. When you have this tag, you are not only belonging to enemy class, but you are now discriminated against everything and denying all opportunities, which I often compare with apartheid systems in South Africa. Mm. And from age 10, I could not attend school because if I went to school, I could be bullied, discriminated, and I could probably in tears. So one of the traumatic stories I still have, how much I love to go to school and to do study, and which I often watched other children attending school in the morning. And I have a lot of pens on my desk <laughs> it, it, because this obsession that I couldn't do study uh, in North Korea from that age. And I still have the obsession to collect pens because this pen, when I came to UK, it has empowered me to go to yeah. learn English schools, colleges and universities where I am able to advocating uh, for my brothers and sisters who cannot speak for themselves today. Yeah. And this classification system, I want to briefly describe uh, because it's very unique system the world needs to know. Probably most, uh, many people do understand these days. But what it means, they have three uh, classifications inside, what they call about 20% uh, core class, ruling class, about all Kim family circles who rules the country. And the middle, they call wavering class, which I often compare uh, middle class or nationalistic sentiment of the group of the people. Mm -hmm. So about 50 and 55 percentage. And the rest of about 30 percent, it is the enemy class whose family members defected or, 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 or linked with the crime against the Kim family and the state. We saw that Kim Jong-un arrested his uncle and executed with machine guns by machine guns a few years ago. Hmm. So like that case, even far, far linked and relatives of him were all taken to prison camp. Or if he's slightly, slightly linked to his family connection, then they live with this enemy class. Hmm. And this classification system should not have in North Korea if they established upon communism and socialism ideologies. But in fact, they went even further upon any of these ideological materials. It is now total uh, controlled country by the Kim family. They are God. And this uh, brainwashed uh, and indoctrination, which comes from age two. And I still remember when I was nursery, we were asked, uh, were, we, we were told to give thanks to the Kim family for having lunch, which you can compare and our Christian and, and, and prayers give our thanks to God for what we're able to eat. Mm. And they also have a Trinity system in North Korea, which is pyramid shape and top is the leader and on the bottom left and right is a state and party. Right. So that 
the Trinity system, they also structuralize from the biblical system, and they have alongside the ten ideological principles, which every uh, single of sentence emphasizes, give absolute love and loyalty to the Kim family. Where that uh, ten ideological principle come from? Ten commandment. Yeah. Because Kim family comes from Christian root, he saw that using the Christian uh, uh, biblical structure of the state would be perfect, and so what he did took away the name of God and replaced it with the Kim. Yeah. Hi folks, I hope 2024 has got off to a good start. I think most of you know this podcast comes out on the auspices of Great Lakes Outreach working in Burundi, which is still annoyingly the hungriest and poorest country in the world. And there are so many positives. I mean, I, I look, look back at last year, see that we've impacted a couple of hundred thousand people in a very meaningful way. I've got all these lovely photos of prostitutes that we've helped get out of prostitution, giving them a new skill as tailors. I think of street kids that we've helped get off the streets. Think of microfinance loans that we've given out to poorest of the poor people, mainly widows who have managed to start up businesses and, and are now thriving, being lifted out of poverty. Mud huts that have been able to knock down and build sort of brick houses with a tin roof and a door that can be locked to actually protect these vulnerable ladies. So many people have come into relationship with Jesus, come to faith. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. In that context, at the same time, there have been 40% food price rises of basic foodstuffs, and there have been five hikes in the last three months of fuel, which just adds up to crippling inflation that affects everybody. It's so challenging. So if you want to back us, if you're enjoying the podcast, I'd really appreciate it, you you sewing into the work. And that's so you can go do that at greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired. We'd love it for you to journey with us. Greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired. And keep enjoying the podcast. Now let's get back to it. Well, um, so, I mean, it's so hard for a Western worldview, which most listeners will be from, to even begin to try to imagine, to comprehend. But what, coming forward a bit, do you, uh, how did you end up being in prison for the first time? What happened there? So, when I was 17 and 18, I tried to join the army because I had no parents and I wanted to have an independent life. When I went to military office, they told me you cannot join the army because uh, your father betrayed this country. And I realized that that crime was following me, none could have. Yeah. Then if that c- crime continued to come alongside in my life, I married, had a ch- children in North Korea. My children would be born with crime. Mm. That is in North Korea and the systems you bear and live with it. And that made the decision and determination to escape to China, which I crossed the border to China. However, um, North Korean defectors come to China. It's not a safe country. And we can actually go to any free democratic countries claim refugees because we are, uh, um, uh, we are ratified in the United Nations Human and Refugee Charters. Because we we and proceed from every element of the mm-hmm. life in the society in North Korea, and China is a the the UN refugee shelter of countries. However, they don't respect international rules and law. They arrest North Koreans and send them back to North Korea and North Korea, and most and often they end up in prison camps or even executed publicly. Mm. So, and come to China was not safe. And I meant to uh, cross another border 
and, and into Mongolia. And of course, if we were able to arrive in Mongolia and continue our journey until finding a refugee camp. Um, well, I met these 18 people, 17 people at the Mongolian border and we tried to cross the border together. Unfortunately, we arrested and we were sent back to North Korea from there. And I still remember among those 18 people and youngest were four and six year old. Hmm. And, and two women, mom and daughter, they had a Bible in their back. And as soon as we arrested, they uh, took their, bi their Bibles out and buried in the sand mm -hmm. because they knew if they went back to North Korea with them, they would be uh, either sent to prison camp or executed straight or right away. And these four and six-year-old, I still can't forget them while we were uh, and uh, chased by Chinese military, they were shooting in our way and these kids were screaming out on the Mongolian border there where we all stopped and arrested and sent back to North Korea. It was awful going back to North Korea and I, I, I never forget this picture of North Korean police asking these questions. Anyone been to church and prayed in China? I never expected, because you wouldn't expect any religious education in North Korea. And this, these questions were quite shocking. And of course I denied, and I met a missionary in China who tried to help me, while he mainly supporting North Korean orphan children and helping them get out from China and go to a safe country. But when I actually first went to this missionary's house in China, I thought he was a human and, and trafficker. He was kidnapping North Korean children. And first time I saw that cross necklace and Bible, I, I, I thought it was a curse hmm. because of uh, my brainwashed education from North Korea. North Korea has uh, numerous of anti-Christian education materials from a uh, young age, school textbook, uh, middle school, high school, companies, all those um, category of age groups, um, they continue being uh, brainwashed and also propagated against uh, any religion and particularly Christianity. And um, so I, of course, told the North Korean police it was uh, not my case. Although I met missionary, I told them, no, I never met or been to any church or missionaries. And these few children who repatriated in our group alongside, the police with a stick, he was asking them to open their palms. Because when you see each finger uh, uh, print that point, and if when children play and pray desperately, if you do that a, a, a long time, you actually see a thick layer on each fingerprint that point because you hold it very tightly, collect your two hands and how you pray for your parents, you know, or uh, asking for God uh, for their survival and etc. So that uh, police was catching uh, and discovering whether these children been to prayer house or with missionaries or church. Hmm. And when these children discovered through the, uh, f uh, uh, f the each uh, finger 
uh, print that layer, a thick layer they have, then they, they told the children and parents and family members uh, and stay on the side. And we know where they were, they meant to taken away. Yeah. Uh, um, this was my first picture arriving in North Korea. But even when I was sent to that, that prison cell, it was not even proper prison there. It was investigation center on the ground. Well, I could see there were hundreds of prisoners in that each cell. Um, but what I can say, just that one cell where I was detained, we didn't have enough um, space. And about 50 people, we couldn't even not lie down. We were all sitting, leaning on uh, and each other's back, lean against each other's back, which I also had to uh, lean on someone against someone's back behind me. And we didn't want to have eye contact. We did not have names in the prison cell. It was very depressing, and everyone looked in fear. Um, early in the morning, I was going to tell the guy who was leaning against my back because he was too heavy. But when I was trying to tell him, his body was falling because he died while he was leaning against my back. Hmm. It's really awful feeling when you have that experience, someone died on your back. As we see many war veterans who throughout their life, they struggle with their high post-traumatic disorders because what they uh, experienced are not only about killing each other, but they also seen their fellow man dying in their arms. Yeah. And I, I do have to say, I do have still high PTSD, but this is why I pray to God a lot to give me peace and his strength to continue equipping me and resist against that PTSD. Hmm. Yeah, I've got a pair of socks in my hands right now, and they were given to me by a North Korean sister about five years ago who was, managed to also escape and her husband and daughter died in the camp. She, the only place she could um, be free um, in the camp was in the showers because there were so many rats and bed bugs and mosquitoes and that was where they prayed together. She was in prison for her faith. Now that, yeah, she painted such a horrific picture and yet she was such a beautiful trophy of grace. Now you... You're a trophy of grace, but you, you didn't come to faith in prison at all, did you? You, you? Did you escape that first time? Then you were put in prison again? We just fast-forwarding a little bit. Um, mm. what, what was the next stage of your journey? Well, I was lucky to get, us, uh, get out from that, that prison because uh, I couldn't stand up, sit anymore. And when I sent to my grandparents' house, I asked her to help me to escape to China, which I'm... I made a second escape to China. I still have to say it was lucky, or if God was to continue watch uh, me on through our whole journey, or even until now. Um, second time come to China, I uh, was uh, traumatized to go to and uh, try to cross the border uh, into another country again. So this time I plan to go to American school in Shanghai, where I met uh, eight North Korean sisters, a woman on a train in Beijing, and we traveled together. And we went to American school in Shanghai. We crossed, illegally crossed over the fence of the American school and went inside and we asked them to help me. Mm. Um, 
the school principal came to us in about half an hour after we spoke to someone and he said, we're very sorry because this building is not a diplomatic center, but it, it is a public school. We have to pass you guys on to Chinese police, which a bunch of Chinese police came inside the school and forcibly dragged us out of the school and put us in police vans. And meanwhile, so many school children were watching us in tears. And this, yeah, still vividly, vividly remember what was going on. And I was sent to Shanghai International Prison. And I had no hope. The deep darkness was in my heart mm. because I meant to send us uh, back to North Korea a second time. Particularly, I went to American school. And one of school sports in North Korea, they hitting American toys. Huh. That much they make America as their propaganda enemies. Rather than teach children love one another, they teach them how to hate one another. So if I went back to North Korea a second time, I could be executed in front of all these school children mm. as a great example. While I was crying every night in my uh, cell, I had seven inmates all from different countries. And one of them was a South Korean gangster. Uh, we speak the same language, thankfully. And he uh, came to me and asked me, why are you crying every night? You're not eating sleepwear. And I explained to him, um, what is going to happen and what's been happening. Then this strange gangster, he went back to his belonging stuff and brought one small dark book. That was the Bible. Hmm. And he said to me, you have some time you could read the Bible. I, I thought he was very mentally even crazy guy. Hmm. Of course, he was a gangster. He looked very creepy. Got big muscles and tattoos and short <laughs> hair. But then this was the Bible where I ran away from during my first escape. When I met this uh, missionary guy, I saw the Bible, I thought it was a curse. But I could not run away this time because I was in prison. And second thing, he suggested me. And he, 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 I could pray to God for my survival. And I told him, I don't even know who God is. And I never prayed. But in that moment, I was thinking, rather than I was crying every night, I could ask God, someone who I don't know, for my survival. So I made the decision to do that, to pray to him. But then I didn't know how to pray. So I asked the gangster, how do you pray? And he said, you just say amen at the end of your wishes. Hmm. So my first prayer at that moment was, the first sentence came to me was, God, I don't want to be killed. Amen. Hmm. God, I don't want to go back to North Korea. Amen. God, I want to get out from this prison. Amen. I had uh, so many Christmas Santa wish list, in hmm. fact, literally. And every single of sentence, very short, pure, from my heart, desired, desperate, want to survive. And I added, amen, at the end of it. And I was finding peace, and slowly that was gathering my uh, a tiny, tiny hope. I was thinking and expecting maybe I could, I, I may able to get out from this prison. And I first thought, God would be someone powerful man who would be able to send me a helicopter to destroy the prison building and get me out with the rope. <laughs> so I watched it in James Bond film. <laughs> Nothing was happening actually. I prayed. It was about. Uh, many times each day, and it was already gone over several weeks. And I told the gangster, "Well, God doesn't exist." 
However, I was desperate, and Chinese police told me you'd be sent back to North Korea by helicopter. So I was determined to ask him once again. I asked him if he really will exist in this world, and he and he gave me my freedom. Then in return, I would devote all my life to you. Mm. But if I was sent back to North Korea and I was killed or even tried to attempt to kill by myself, mm. I told him I was going to deny his existence. And I kept on with the exact same words until the last day when two men visited me in the prison. I first thought they were uh, 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 from North Korean embassy. I couldn't even walk properly. I was so scared going downstairs. But when I went outside of prison, two men from far away distance, he was smiling, they were smiling at me. And one guy was a South Korean diplomat and the other guy was a Westerner. They told me, we have good news for you. Chinese government made a very unusual decision to deport you and your group to the Philippines mm. instead of North Korea. My first reaction I remember, I said, thank God. Mm. I believed <laughs> it was the answer to my prayers. They also explained to me what happened. One of the school students from American school in Shanghai, and after what they traumatized the scene, we were arrested by Chinese police and forcibly dragged us into police vans. And she actually wrote an email to a journalist, which her email is still on Google. She said, uh, we were powerless. We couldn't do anything while they were arrested by Chinese police and they would be killed if they sent back to North Korea. Would you please do something for them? Mm. And this journalist then encouraged the BBC, Washington Post, and CNN, German, South Korea, all these media uh, were joining the campaign to pressure on the Chinese government. And they all joined the campaign and, 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 and they, they pressured on the Chinese, already the Chinese government. Those Christians and human rights groups watched this news. They protested in front of many Chinese embassies. So when this decision made by the Chinese government, they actually made a, a reluctant decision. It was not their initial decision. They made a, a decision to send us back to North Korea, yeah. but they had to change their mind. So we were the first ever group actually uh, uh, deported to another country. Yeah. At the same time, when you see my story, what I, this young naive boy, I thought God would be able to send me a helicopter. I thought that was powerful enough, but God was far more powerful. He literally mobilized international campaign to do this for my freedom when I desperately reached out to him because I wanted to survive. I wanted to live. Yeah. I saw a different world outside North Korea. Not prison, but there is love and beauty and hope and that faith. Can I just pick up on that? Uh, just the, um, it's so encouraging, isn't it? That precious young girl, you know, out, out of her desperation, uh, kick-started something, enacted something. And, and, and campaigning works, doesn't it? I remember doing a campaign with Open Doors maybe 15 years ago with a, a bunch of, you know, hundreds of young people who got mobilized. There was a guy called Shi Weihan. I still remember his name. Mm. And he was a book publisher in China and he'd been arrested for, for, for printing Christian material. And I said to these kids, look, we're all going to write a letter right now. There was maybe uh, 800 
200 kids in the room that we're all going to write a letter right now, we're going to campaign, and in a year's time, I'll be able to come back and tell you that he's been released because we've done this campaigning. And sure, mm. sure enough, I think it took mm. a couple of years that uh, he was released. So, guys, you know, writing letters, raising awareness, all that mm. stuff, we've got an important role to play for the suffering church, haven't mm. we? Yeah, absolutely. I would encourage anyone who are listening uh, uh, to our podcast interview, I would encourage you to write something for North Korean refugees and prisoners and Christian prisoners and to write letters to their local MPs mm-hmm. or uh, any resources or any source or network they can use if they raise this uh, issue, what's happening in North Korea and on the Korean Peninsula. I'd be very, very grateful. So we can do that. We'll put the blurb for open doors and, and, mm. and such like. Eventually, I was sent to deported to the Philippines. We were offered a diplomatic passport, which I had never seen that pass- passport before. People in North Korea have no uh, perception of hmm. passports at all because they cannot imagine to travel or uh, 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 and even foreign holidays go to outside. Hmm. It was very significant. It was used only once. And we flew to the Philippines via uh, another country. I arrived in the UK. But what I can summarize this through twice escape and four times imprisonment, suffering does not destroy faith, but refines it. Hmm. Sometimes I am grateful that what suffering I had gone through, Hmm. because of that suffering, I am who I am today. Yeah. And understood and seen that faith, even things that you couldn't expect, what could happen? And that faith in God, it encouraged me to see the hope. And within that hope, and also I saw that beauty and love, like that little young girl, she didn't know anything about, but where she encouraged to write a, a small a letter to a journalist, that beauty where she, her heart caused it is how God works yeah when we do see that when God create histories he write history he does it through the lives of individuals as we have seen in in part of our history of the past 2000 years so many wonderful people including Winston Churchill and Abraham Lincoln and William Wilberforce Dietrich Bonhoeffer yeah and and you name it, all these people. At the same time, these people like uh, Stalin, Mao, Hitler, Kim Il-sung, they used their good gift in a negative way, my thirst, yeah. and creating this darkness. Of course, there is a spiritual battle and warfield here. Mm-hmm. And today I am, uh, upon my experience of it, I am so much talking about love and hope and faith because we have because of that love and beauty i see the hope tomorrow what what can come yeah i just wanted to flag up um you know when you're talking about suffering and and how that has drawn you closer you know when i talk to people that have really suffered for their faith like yourself timothy i 
scriptures like uh, Romans 5 come to mind where, you know, I can sort of say it, but I haven't suffered in the same way. But you say, Paul wrote, not only so, but we also, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. So those scriptures blow my mind. And uh, actually, a few years ago, um, Open Doors put this out and, and, I, and I wrote it down because, again, I just I, I think we in the West need to be challenged by the persecuted and the suffering church. And, and North Korea for the last 20 years has been number one in the world in terms of the most persecuted nation. But there are lots of Christian believers in North Korea who are in those those massive, uh, you talk about the whole country being a, a prison camp, but there are, obviously there are internment camps in there. And, and this is what many North Koreans recite daily, not just the Lord's Prayer, but they have five principles of faith. And it goes like this. Number one, our persecution and suffering are our joy and honor. <laughs> Number two, we want to accept ridicule, scorn, and disadvantages with joy in Jesus' name. <laughs> Number three, as Christians, we want to wipe others' tears away at, and comfort the suffering. Number four, we want to be ready to risk our life because of our love for our neighbor so that they mm. also become followers of Jesus. And number five, we want to live our lives according to the standards mm. set in God's word. I find that so humbling and challenging. Mm. Now, as, uh, as we, as it's, it's heavy, isn't it? Sometimes you just want to sit in the silence and absorb it. And I feel that with your testimony in general. Like, there's so much I want to draw out. But so you end up in England. You're now a British citizen. You don't take for granted uh, the incredible gift of being in a, in, a, in a country. It's funny that a lot of the Western world is, I think, Western civilization is all, it's almost imploding as we sort of uh, destroy ourselves with, with, with talking. We're, all that all we've done is bad and that all our history is bad. And, uh, our, you know, democracy almost seems to be shooting itself in the foot. And, it, and, it, and, and it's got its flaws, but it's so much better than other systems of government, isn't it? And I know you are so deeply grateful. But, but talk, talk into that and also just share how, how you have come into personal relationship, how you've been mentored, how you've grown in your faith. What's your ongoing journey now? Well, without faith and relationship with God, I could not have opened my heart, I have to say. I suffered a lot, not just part of until what I arrived here, but later on with trauma and darkness and anger. And that trauma, I never realized how it was come to me very close and pushing me to the darkness hmm. itself. Often I woke up uh, living in Bolton, but at night time I didn't know whether I was in China, prison, North Korea, or during mm. my journey. So in the middle of the night, it repeatedly I did, went outside of the street. When I saw English road sign, I was able to go back to sleep. Mm. And every time I confronted it, you know, I had to keep going back to God. And I was keep crying out, complaining so much to him. Why you did not leave me die alongside those who died on the street, prison cell, or in those 18 people who I tried to cross the border together, I don't even know where they are. Without my faith interaction with him, which I have cried out hundreds or probably thousands of times, even though I still do that. But every time when I do that, each time, 
it feels he's, he opens my heart and he keeps telling me, I love his son. Hmm. And he has encouraged me to do this, to speak on behalf. Because if we don't understand persecution, we don't know who Jesus is. Jesus was the person mostly persecuted and he died on the cross. And yet, on the cross, what did he say? Father, they don't know who they are persecuting. Yeah. It's, a, it's a huge metaphor in there. And he talks about love. And what's the against uh, opposite love? Hatred, mm. anger, yeah. and, and discrimination, persecution. And we know that even this country and Western societies, they have, you have had gone through huge persecution. And this is another century we are facing um, 360 million persecution, one in every seven persons. This graph is so fast going up. Because the Western part of the societies and churches, and we actually are slipping in a way, if I can describe. Mm. And we need to stand up together, encourage, and we need to take our role, not just have to be missionaries, politicians, activists, but we all have that task to do so. Because we each, each person, we have a heart, and the God has given this creation within the beautiful heart and task to do so. And my faith has repeatedly cried out to him. And still do that. I do that when I upset, when, I'm, when I can't do much, when I'm hearing that what's happening, the tragic stories in North Korea, I cry out to him and mm. run out to the park. And I go to local church and I continue to testify or, uh, and, uh, and around the church congregations and world and schools, universities. Because when you... Managed to escape from that country. You have to tell the story. Yeah, yeah. That story is—it's not my story. It's a story of persecution, and that persecution. This story can be a story of Jesus and God, and God loves us so much. That's why He even sent His Son to us. Yeah. And I love this scripture, the Proverb nine ten: "Fear of the fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom." And I remember in that prison cell when I was reading this scripture, I, I couldn't understand Bible. It was so hard to understand. But one scripture I understood was John 14, 8. I will not leave you as orphan, but I will come to you. Yeah. He, he comes to us. And we are, we meant to be loved and we meant uh, love and care for others. And we meant to be loved from the moment when mother gave you birth. And how beautiful is that woman after suffering, giving birth, but holding her child in her arm. And I was once there, you were one there, once there, and my children were there. Yeah. It's the beautiful moment of beauty where God loves us so much. But without that strength and faith, I could not have uh, made that decision to come and standing and speak on behalf of my brothers and sisters. There are 360 million alongside it. And I, I mentioned about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German and Christian brother who stood against Hitler's persecution and what he said there in his prison before he died. A silence in the face of evil is itself evil. Yeah. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Yeah. We cannot be complacent. We think our freedom and democracy, something we have basic choice and freedom of speech we have in this country is granted for now. 
It's not many people sacrificed. But if we not preserve and standing up for these values and loving families, this will go away. And this was one of the reasons uh, when Jerusalem was occupied by its enemies over 40 times in 3,000 years history. Because when you are complacent and you think uh, and turn away from God or run away, God, God is upset with that. Yeah. Like our, you are father, Simon, and I'm a father now. When our children and don't listen to me, don't listen to you, we get upset and we sometimes let you go. And then when you face that challenges and you come back and ask your parents advice and speak to you, that's one of the things when children have issues. Who do, who do you usually call? Is it your father or mom? And I missed the opportunity, of course, grew up with my own parents. Thankfully, I have many mentors and friends who are around and my church leaders who I can speak to them. But the main person I speak when I'm upset, when I need someone to talk, I call God. Yeah. Oh, Timothy. Um, I think um, we'll, we'll wind down there. We, before, before we went live um, we were talking and we have a shared hero um, and I asked you whether you knew Robert Germain Thomas and of course you do because he is a very dear hero of Korean Christians and so I wanted to close with his story I find it so moving and so beautiful because mm. our stories are all linked and your story is linked to Robert Germain Thomas so let me close with that and then I'll give you a, a final uh, you know last words if you mm. like and this uh, I've taken some of it from um, Kingsley Armstrong his book I met him the summer and he shared it and uh, I just love it because I knew some of the details, but I didn't know how the, again, the tapestry of our God's weaving of our stories um, overlap. But anyway, Robert Germain Thomas was a, a Welshman. He was born in uh, 1839. And when he found the Lord, he, he ended up working out with a lady called Caroline Godfrey. They got engaged, married, and they sailed to China. And in 1863, Robert said goodbye to his homeland. He was 24 years old. And he traveled with his new wife uh, on the ship to, uh, from Gravesend to Shanghai. That's a four-month journey. Uh, on that journey, Caroline fell pregnant, but within five months of their arrival in Shanghai, she died from a miscarriage. Um, you know, they hadn't known of her pregnancy, and he'd gone off to another city to seek better accommodation. So when he comes back, he realizes he's lost his wife, he's lost his, his baby, and he wrote back to his family, "'My heart is well-nigh broken.'" I must seek somewhere a complete change. All that I could be done for sufferer was done for my dear wife. I trust to give myself more completely than ever to the noble work on which I have just entered. But at present, I feel weighed down by deep grief. And, you know, I think because my parents let me go to the most dangerous country in the world when I went out to Burundi and, and uh, I could have died and people did try to kill me and stuff like that. But I imagine these parents and how mm. they felt and what, what was their story. The, you know, they're devastated back home in Wales. They get a letter from Robert telling them that their daughter-in-law's dead, that their first grandchild is dead. What incredible grief. And you can imagine what people would have said. A young family, what a waste. You know, she died even before they accomplished anything in China. But that wasn't the end of the story because in Robert's grief, he had two really close friends and comforters. They introduced Thomas to two Catholic Koreans who were eager to read Bibles, but they didn't have any. 
And Thomas was was touched by God and he wanted to help them. Anyway, pressing on, he made a few trips into Korea. It was very, very dangerous. And uh, he then made contact with an American ship called the General Sherman. Now picture this, guys. This is so extraordinary. Um, and it, this whole mission was, it was shrouded in, in mystery because it was so difficult. Um, it, it's not known whether it was a merchant vessel or what purpose the expedition was. Maybe he'd gone on as their in, interpreter, but he wanted to get Bibles to the Koreans. The Koreans had recently killed, the authorities killed 10,000 Christians there. And as they approached Korea, they received lots of official warnings, turn back, turn back, turn back. But they continued, despite the opposition, on 3rd of September, 1866, the authorities commanded the General Sherman to be attacked and destroyed. And they sailed out these sort of burning boats that landed on the Sherman, which had um, beached on a, on a, a sandbar. And uh, so the Sherman was set on fire. And the crew all jumped overboard and waiting on the shore were the executioners. Not one of them survived. But picture this, Robert Germain Thomas, he's standing there on the burning deck of the Sherman. And he's opening his cases and flinging the Bibles to the soldiers and villagers waiting on, on the shore, shouting, Jesus, Jesus. And finally, he himself catches on fire. It's only that point that he's literally on fire and he jumps overboard and he, he swam to the shore and he begged the awaiting soldier uh, to take the Bible from him. And that soldier must have been caught in a conundrum, but he hesitated and, and before executing him. But last, he did his duty. He speared, he lanced through Robert uh, Jermaine Thomas, who was died, who was killed. And he was 27 years old. And, you know, when news finally got home to Wales, again, his family totally devastated. Bad news when his wife died, their the first grandson dies. But now tragedy again. And, you know, I just, the, the, I find the story so moving because that still wasn't the end of the story. And, you know, you can imagine Robert getting to heaven uh, and coming for Jesus. And he said, oh, Jesus, I'm sorry. I was a bit of a muppet. You know, I wasted my life. You know, I didn't manage to do much. But, what, but uh, he might have felt a bit of a failure. But no, uh, it wasn't a failure. Because if you go back to the shores of North Korea, what happened was that some of those who were watching that whole incident, they, you know, the, the, the paper was so precious. The Bible was so precious. They took it home. They took these Bibles home. Some of them used it as wallpaper in their houses. And then they started reading the pages. And here on the walls of their houses, they began to read about a savior who died for them and who forgive them. And that nothing could separate them from God's love. So even though Thomas was gone, the story was continuing. And then 50 years later, I love this, a huge revival broke out in Pyongyang in Korea. In 1904, 10,000 Koreans became Christians. 1906, 30,000 became Christians. In 1907, 50,000 more became Christians. And then beautifully, in 1907, as the Holy Spirit moved in Pyongyang at a revival meeting, an old man, his name was Chun Kwan Park, he came forward repenting that it was he who in his youth as a soldier, he is the one who had killed Robert Germain Thomas. And he had also read the book given to him by the man who he'd killed and through it, he'd found his savior. And so that revival starts spreading uh, out from, you know, from to, to, to the nations and Korea. I mean, we've got fantastic mission, Korean missionary friends in, uh, in Burundi. And, you know, you can go back to thinking of, of Thomas at the feet of Jesus uh, saying, I failed, I failed, I failed. But he could not have imagined the story. And, and what is beautiful is that, you know, in South Wales, in Clanola, I butchered the pronunciation, Clanova, in South Wales, his hometown. You know, most of us have never heard about Robert Germain Thomas, but you Koreans have, haven't you? And many Koreans still visit that place because they want to honour 
this unsung hero of the faith who died age 27, giving everything literally on fire uh, for Jesus as he jumped in the water. And 160 plus years later, um, the gospel is still advancing. Isn't that, I just, that is such a moving story. God bless Robert Germain Thomas and many others that, whose names we don't know that, that have taken the gospel to the nations and, in, in, and sacrificed their lives so that we could know the truth. And listeners, you know, don't sit on the blessing you've got. We are in free nations. And Timothy will say it. You know, that lots of, our country, uh, of his countrymen are in prison camps right now dying for the book, dying for their relationship with Jesus. And it's a costly right that we have in this nation. Uh, I, I've sort of got on my preaching pedestal there a bit, uh, Timothy, but can you, oh, I'm, I'm worked up. Can you give your last words that you'd want to share with people? Well, thank you for... Mentioning Robert Domain Thomas, I visited his church in Afghavini, mm-hmm. Wales, and where his martyrdom was happened in Pyongyang. And yes, and that executioner who became pastor, and that was seeding to bring the great revival of yeah. 1907, which many people would call the Second Jerusalem of the uh, East. Mm-hmm. Korea, a lot of Korean people actually have a pilgrimage from now, from, mainly from South Korea to Wales. Yeah. And sadly, that place is now in darkness, a military parade is held every year. Even a few days ago, there were military parade in North Korea. All these weapons of mass destructions, while these people are dying of starvation. But that prayers are the pile of prayers are still there in, on the ground. There are about 50,000 Kim family monuments and statues across the country. And probably most of these statues were built upon those church sites. Yeah. So maybe that could flip over again. Yeah. And I have a strong, uh, hope and faith in that process will come. Because 74 years, the darkness hasn't destroyed love, God, yeah. faith and hope and because of that and i can also share as a north korean escapee and and christian brother and also i'm very grateful that you are uh, we are uh, remembering our brother whose martyrdom uh, was happened in pyongyang in 1866 and that faith is still there and will be there and we haven't given up on it yet because no. God hasn't given up on it and us. Yeah. And we continue to stand. And because God's values of love, family, and, lo- and love and care for others, they are not politics. But we also need good politics that leaders take good responsibility uh, uh, to look after its own people. It is why God has also using these institutions to look out its own people. Yeah. And Please, to continue pray for uh, our persecuted brothers and sisters and their protection in North Korea. Yeah. And also uh, pray for uh, those North Korean leaders to take primary, uh, feel their primary responsibility to protect its people. They think they are persecuting their own people, but it's not their people. Yeah. As Jesus said, why do you persecute me and my people? Mm. And also for future Serban leadership to come in North Korea and United Korea in our time. Thank you. Thanks, Timothy. 
Yeah, I'm reminded of Jesus. Matthew 16 says, you know, I will build my church, talking to Peter, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And what an onslaught our North Korean brothers and sisters have had, but they are still standing. And uh, we trust that ultimately they will stand. Timothy Cho, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Wow, folks, heavy and moving, stirring, encouraging, inspiring. I'll put stuff on Timothy in the blurb for you to uh, track with him and open doors. God bless him and his family uh, as he seeks to maximize the opportunity he has as as a spokesperson uh, for those who don't have a voice for themselves. Listen, if you've enjoyed it, please share it with your friends, pass it on, give us a great review on Spotify or iTunes. If you want to be in touch with me, you can do so at simongilbo.com. I want to thank Adam Thomas Steer for the editor Mike Sandyman for the mixing next week a very different story another fantastic guest with us but in the meantime God bless you have a good week and toodaloo